Hey friends, and welcome back to this week's episode of Fit Friends Happy Hour. I'm your host, Katie, and this is episode 197. Now, if you know me, if you've been listening for some time, you know that I love to travel. That is one of the things I just think there's so much that we can learn when we travel, whether it's domestically, whether it's internationally, not just from a life perspective, but also it so enriches our relationship with food and body when we're able to experience other cultures, experience other experiences. So today I'm excited to bring to you our guest, Angela St. Yee. She is a DIY travel mentor. So the hallmark of what she does is she equips and empowers women with the tools to be able to make their travel dreams a reality and live their best lives. Travel has been something for her and myself that has been so transformative in various areas of life. And it brings Angela or Angie as she goes by, it brings her the greatest joy to be able to share these amazing gifts of travel with others. So today we dive into culture, culinary experiences, how to maximize traveling and get the most from it, and maybe why you should travel by yourselves and how to break down some of those barriers that hold us back, whether it's mental barriers, whether it's physical barriers that hold us back from having those experiences. All right, on to the show. Welcome to Fit Friends Happy Hour, a podcast about all things nutrition, fitness, and life in your 20s and 30s, all from a non-diet lens. I'm your host, Katie Hake, and I'm a registered dietitian nutritionist and certified personal trainer. Join me here every week as I talk with interesting people and experts from all walks of life about their relationship with food, exercise, and their bodies. I am on a mission to help you redefine the word fit, to help you stop quantifying and start living. Learn to stop measuring your success by the scale and find your fears. Hello, Angie. Welcome to Fit Friends Happy Hour. We're so happy to have you. Thanks for having me, Katie. I'm so happy to be here. So tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey and your path to become a registered dietitian. Yeah, so it might be a little bit long-winded, but I'll try to make it as short as I can. <laughs> so it, it actually started in middle school. I wasn't really into food and nutrition heavily. I just really enjoyed eating. And my mom is actually a cook. She's been a cook chef for 25 plus years. So I was surrounded by lots of different foods and lots of different cuisines early. So that's how I got my appreciation for food. But the actual cooking part started in middle school because I participated in a food and nutrition class. And I was like, okay, this is cool. Like, you know, you actually get to learn the back end reactions of how everything works and you get to craft your own food and then eat it. What's better than that? So I was like, okay, I want to do a career where I can actually incorporate food, but then also help people. So that's how I found nutrition dietetics. And then I went to University of Delaware. I'm actually from Delaware. So went to my home school and everything. And I started going through the coursework and I was like, okay, this is cool. Again, you're learning about the science, but I actually wanted the people aspect too. And I really wanted to learn about cultures. So I actually had a good amount of time within my program to do things outside of just the regular curriculum. So I did a lot of cultural classes. I did sociology classes. I took some extra cooking classes. And that's what really started me on the path of 
food photography and then also traveling too. Cause I was like, yeah, like I want to be able to get out of my Delaware bubble and I really want to be able to see, you know, other places in the United States, or I want to actually be able to travel internationally too, because university of Delaware had such a huge study abroad program, but I'm like, okay, I don't have the money for that. And then I don't know the first thing about even travel planning. So I just thought to myself, okay, it'll probably be something I'll do when I'm set in a big girl job and I'm probably in my thirties or something, but there was just a burning passion in me. I just thought, okay, I'm going to find some way to be able to travel. So I did finally in 2015, I did a couple um, domestic trips and I actually did a trip up to Canada. So I'll call that like half, half domestic and international. And then, you know, for sure. (laughs) You know, mildly like a baby step into international. And then I did my first international trip to the UK in 2017. And then from there, I was just like, okay, now I pretty much have figured out a good process to be able to travel. And then just being able to connect with so many people and then just be exposed to so many different foods and cultures. And it's just been so amazing. So now that's the business I'm in now and just being able to equip people um, with those same tools to be able to have those same kind of experiences and really craft their own like itineraries and just memories instead of just being trapped inside like one little bubble in almost like any regard. Oh, I love that so much. And this is why I'm, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today. You know, we've had different travel experts on this podcast, but I'm so interested to hear from your perspective, you know, as a nutrition expert, how travel can really enhance our lives, enhance our eating experience. And I like how you say, I don't want to say without it, but in a sense, we can get stuck in this bubble, right? In terms of food, in terms of our culture, all different areas of our life. And hopefully we can touch on today how travel really helps to expand that. So tell us, I mean, you mentioned a little bit how you got into travel, but like, what was that first domestic trip that you took that you kind of couldn't get that feeling away of, okay, I got to travel? Yeah, so it actually started from my super love and interest in tennis too. So I played a little bit in high school and just recreationally in college. And I really got into watching, you know, a lot of the big female and male players. And especially my favorite player is Roger Federer. And, you know, he's very selective with the kind of tournament that he plays. And it's just super funny that one of his favorite tournaments actually happens to be in Ohio of all places. They have a huge um, combined men and women's event there. So I was just thinking to myself, okay. Is now, it in Cincinnati? Yeah, the Western Southern Open. Oh my goodness. That is so funny that you say that because we drove by that. My sister lives in Cincinnati and we literally drove by that last week. And I said, she was, oh, it's a big famous tennis place. And I was like, huh, what? Wow, that is so funny. Okay, I digress. Go on. (laughs) Yeah, definitely go out one day. But yeah, I was thinking, okay, I had my first job in January 2015. And I saved up some money. So I actually went to the tournament here in Miami. And then I was like, okay, I really want to go to the Western Southern Open. So I saved up my money. And I met up with a few friends there. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go see Roger Federer. And it's going to be amazing. So I went there for a few days. And it totally exceeded my expectations the connections I was able to make with people and then just trying the local fair in Cincinnati as well. It was absolutely amazing. So I was just like, okay, 
now I just really want to be able to travel further and further out because I took that first step. So of all the places, it was Ohio that came yeah. off. So how, how far was that from where you are now? How far was Ohio? Was it a drive? Is it a flight? So yeah, I was, I was in school in Delaware and then I moved officially to South Florida at the end of 2014. So okay. yeah, then I flew up to Ohio in 2015. So it was a, it was a flight. It was a, a trip. And is, did you say that you went alone on that trip or did you go with a friend? I missed that. Yeah. So initially I went alone and then I met up with my friends, but it's a funny story too, because I was like, okay, I have a general idea of what Cincinnati's like, but I don't really know. So I flew in and then I actually took transit to get to my hotel in Mason. And I was thinking like, okay, like, you know, the bus is going to take me right there, but the bus stop actually stopped about maybe like a 25 minute walk from where the hotel was. And I didn't know that there was no sidewalks really in Mason at that time. So I'm literally walking along the road and just looking behind me, making sure that no cars are going to hit me. I had my flat sandals on. I had a couple bags of luggage and I'm just hauling up to the highest place. On oh this my highway. goodness. Yeah. So just that experience going on your own and you know, what was it about that experience that made you, or or let me ask you this, what was kind of that next travel uh, goal that you set for yourself? Yeah, so it was always the case that I had a love affair with Canada, because I actually have family that lives there. But it was just always family trips. And I didn't really get to see as much of Canada as I wanted to. So I was like, okay, I really want to plan a trip to Canada, but I kind of want to have a purpose behind it as well. So then another one of my favorite tennis players, they were actually going to have an event in Ottawa. And I was like, okay, I can go to Ottawa. I can, you know, take some time off from, because I had like a little break in between classes. So I was like, okay, like I'll take a break during school here. And then I actually had a friend that lived in Ottawa. And I was like, yeah, can I come crash at your house? She's like, yeah, sure. So then I went up to Ottawa and then I got to see all the sites around Ottawa and then trying some of the delicacies up there as well. So it was just like really cool because it wasn't the case that, okay, I'm just going, you know, completely to a country far away. It's still North America, but I was taking those proactive baby steps to being able to fulfill a dream that I had for so long, like almost 10 years since I was a teenager. So, Yeah. Did your family ever travel growing up? You mentioned that your mom was really into different cuisines. Is there certain cuisine that she was inspired by and, and how, what was that like? kind of in your bubble in in Delaware? Yeah, so originally my parents are from Haiti. So it was a lot of Haitian cuisine. And then my mom is classically trained. So she knew like French cuisine and like all these different kind of cuisines because she had to cook that in the hotels over there, especially for tourists. So I got general exposure to most cuisines, but it wasn't until I traveled more that I kind of got more in depth in trying some of like the, I guess, more truer delicacies instead of just like surface level stuff, like maybe sandwiches or salads or something. Yeah. Can you explain to our listeners what you mean by that? Like when you say delicacy, what does that mean? So something, I guess probably the thing that would grow someone out the most would be eating bugs, for instance. So I never thought I would eat bugs, but then, you know, there was a place here in Miami, it's called Tequiza and it's a famous taco place. 
And they actually had a cricket taco on their menu. And I never thought I would try that. But I was like, okay, I trust this place. They season everything really well. And I tried it. I absolutely loved it. So then when I went to Mexico in 2019, and I was waiting outside the Frida Kahlo Museum, there was a guy that was selling the crickets like in this like big bucket or so. I was like, yeah, like I would gladly take a bag. And I was just like eating them like they were peanuts. It wasn't something that I thought <laughs> oh, uh, twice about, but I would have thought twice about, let's say five years ago, if you asked me. Yeah, sure. And so in that sense, you know, what do you think? And I, I want to come back to this piece about food and delicacies and being an adventurous eater and how that is just a whole nother experience. But what do you think holds people back from traveling both domestically as well as internationally? Yeah, I always think it just comes to mindset blocks. And I think the biggest one is financial because you see all of these pictures on Instagram and it just looks so beautiful and just so dreamy. And you just think, okay, I can't really afford that. Or maybe if I could afford that, it would just be for one night. But these people are, you know, jumping from place to place for maybe weeks at a time. And I think it's just making things one realistic, and then two, just giving people the actual steps of how to do it. It's one thing to sit there and want to inspire people, but it doesn't really serve them a purpose if you're not giving them the tangible steps to actually do it. So that is the biggest thing for me. So how is it that you and your business helped people with those barriers? Yeah, so really my philosophy is like, okay, it's not the case that something luxury has to be, let's say, tens of thousands of dollars. It's really what your definition of luxury is. So if you really like those opulent experiences, great. If you're like me and you just really just enjoy immersing yourself in cultures, that's a perfect way to you know, define luxury as well. So what I do is actually break down all the components of an itinerary and then just give people really practical and tangible tips and tricks to be able to be able to craft those itineraries and almost give those like insider secrets. Because usually if you're going to a travel agent or travel planner, they have all the knowledge, but then they're almost thinking like, okay, like you're going to keep coming back and you're going to keep coming back. But what I want to do is actually give people the tools to really feel empowered. And then if you need something extra, like let's say you're not solo and you're actually going with a group, then yeah, go with a travel agent or advisor, you know, just to take that extra stress off. But if it's just you and you're personalizing something for yourself, I feel that you should be empowered with the tools to be able to craft things on your own. It's me, Katie. And in case you haven't already noticed, I kind of care about you getting results. Now, I'm not talking about results as far as body fat composition or the number on the scale, but I'm talking about implementing the things that you are learning here each and every week. Head on over to Facebook and just search Fit Friends Tribe to request to join our group. This is a free Facebook community where we talk about the podcast episodes each week, and I give you action steps on how to implement what it is that we talked about so that you're not just listening, learning, and absorbing information, but you're part of that top percent, that top 2% that actually takes action and changes their life. So facebook.com, search Fit Friends Tribe. I'm going to ask you a few questions to make sure you're not some weirdo from Antarctica, and we'll let you in. See you there. All right, back to the show. 
What do you think holds people back from traveling solo? Yeah, I think it's just the notion of solo itself, because you're just thinking, okay, that's great. Like, you know, I can be on my own and do my own thing, but am I actually going to have fun on my own? Are people going to judge me? And especially for women too, there's just those extra safety measures that you have to try to think about and be really cognizant of. And especially if you're just used to being around people when you're experiencing things and you don't really have to think about all those extra factors on your own, that can just be a real stifler as well. Like when I was going to London, I almost had, I felt like iron in my throat. I'm like, oh my God, because I was so excited to go to London, but I'm like, uh, I don't know like how it's going to be when I get there. I don't know how the transit works. I don't know how the currency works. I'm like, uh, uh, uh. and then after one day, I was like, oh, okay, I got this. Like, it's no problem, but it's just taking that first step. Yeah. So along that lines, right? Like you mentioned that first day, okay, I got over it. It felt fine. What ways has traveling changed you? Yeah, I think it's just, I think it's really a personality thing because naturally I am just so introverted and just traveling. I'm like, well, you just can't be traveling somewhere and then still living in a bubble if that makes sense. So you actually have to get out of your comfort zone in terms of personality too. So whether it's food, whether it's actually talking to people, maybe that you wouldn't have connected with otherwise, like let's say you're in a tour group or something, or even just like the locals around actually like engaging with them and just giving yourself like that comfort to be able to engage and connect with people. And then just really taking in and respecting cultures on the whole, like not being super entitled or anything, like actually just immersing yourself in a culture and just really allowing yourself to be like enriched and nourished and really just be able to learn. What does that look like? I love that you bring that up, like not feeling entitled because I feel like when I've traveled or been with people who have had that demonstrated that and it's embarrassing or yeah explain like what you mean by that and how that shows up yes I think the biggest thing that has almost taken that entitlement away from me is actually staying in the hostels because it really forces you to be very social and very connected to the local environment and then too just if you want to go back to food because a lot of people when you go to a foreign country you're thinking like okay where is the most familiar place to, let's say, the United States? So maybe people are thinking of McDonald's or they're looking for a Whole Foods or something. Or like my sister, she went to, uh, I'm calling her out here. She was in Paris or no, where was she? Italy, somewhere amazing. And I remember calling her and they were eating at a Hard Rock Cafe. I was like, you're hurting my soul right now. You're just dagger in my chest. <laughs> So back to that feeling of like entitlement. Yeah, explain that. Yeah, exactly. It's, I'm just thinking when I was in London in 2018 and I was in King's Cross area and there was a super amazing bakery to like probably 10 steps away from my hostel. And if I wouldn't have just like, you know, walked around the area and found that place, I would have totally missed it and just gone to somewhere super conventional but no, I actually did walk around and then I just smelled the, the scent of fresh pastries baking in the morning at baguettes. And I went in there and I had the most amazing pan au chocolat 
with um, some almonds on it and one of the what best cappuccino. So it's, <laughs> it's actually, it's basically like a really fancy French croissant oh, with chocolate yeah. in it. And literally I felt I was transported to Paris in that moment. And it was so cheap too. I think I paid under five pounds for it. So maybe like $6 American for that whole meal. And I felt like I was transported to Paris and it's the case. You find those little gems when you actually take the time to really walk around areas. And that's why I always recommend people walk around. Like it's not the case that you have to be in a car somewhere. You miss so much when you're in cars. So whether it's taking transit or just walking around and especially doing something like a walking tour. So you get to actually be with a local and then just be able to see the city on the whole. And then once you're done with the tour, then just wander around and see like what are in the little nooks and crannies, like, you know, the little alleyways, because that is where the beauty lies in travel. I love that. I love that. And you mentioned too, like staying in hostels. I think talking about the entitlement piece a little bit, I would agree with you. Staying in hostels, you meet people who you see are not super wealthy, making travel happen. And I think it helps to kind of break down some of those barriers or maybe assumptions about traveling and how it has to, you know, quote unquote, look. Yeah. And I think also, okay, let's say you're not very comfortable staying in the hostel. Airbnbs are fabulous as well. And what I really love to do to be able to connect more with people there is actually just do a private room. And, you know, sometimes it's the case when I stayed in Wimbledon area in 2019, it was the case that I stayed in a private room with my host and everything, and they were amazing. So the woman that I had initially spoken to, she was working mostly, but her husband was there and he was a great cook. And he, I just, had such amazing conversations with him and he was just so helpful and he was just making sure that everything was fine. Everything was safe for me. So it's just really great just to be able to make the connections in that way as well. Now, if you want, let's say an entire apartment or something to yourself, that's fine. But yeah, if you don't mind connecting with people in that way, then even just getting a private room and an Airbnb and connecting with just the local host are a really great right to just ingratiate yourself in that culture as well. Let's talk about food. Always. It's like, if it's not travel, then it's food. Where do we go? <laughs> let's, talk, let's talk about food and travel. How and why is culture such an important part of nutrition and a healthy relationship with food? Yeah, I think it's the thing for me with culture, food, and anything like that is it's just really a, a great way for people to communicate and connect with each other. So let's say there is a language barrier. There's really no language barrier when it comes to breaking bread and sharing like a whole meal with, you know, 10 people at a table. It's just such a collective and beautiful experience because you're not only nourishing your body, but you're nourishing your mind and just kind of letting go of those inhibitions too. It's like, okay, there's just so much that goes on in the world. But when you're actually at a table, enjoying a meal that someone actually crafted with so much love and took the time to really like make such a beautiful feast and you actually get to enjoy it. I just think that's one of like the best pleasures um, you can take in. 
you know, I'd love your opinion on this. How does our society make that challenging or make that right? Like there's this idea, I think of traveling, right? And you mentioned trying different delicacies or different foods, but I think in this quote unquote wellness industry, there's this stereotype of, well, healthy looks a certain way and nutritious foods look a certain way. How can that, like, tell me your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think it's just the case that there's always a take on something, right? So it's like, okay, like you have this kind of idea, but you know, to make it more palpable for an audience, you have to commercialize it and modify it. I'm like, no, the food was just fine how it was. Why did you have to modify it in this way? And then people just think too, like, okay, like, you know, I could go travel somewhere, but I want to have a beach body because this is what is accepted in society. Or, you know, I can only do so much of this because of this effect. I'm like, no, food is just supposed to be something that's joyful and nourishing on the whole. And I don't feel that there should be like 10 million things attached to it. It's just something that's meant to be shared and enjoyed. So I think if you approach it from that standpoint, then the benefits of it just increase tenfold instead of having to think of like all these labels and everything else. Yeah, absolutely. What was your pro? I'm curious how your program in dietetics was about discussing some of the cultural diversity around food. Do you feel like there was a gap with that education piece in our profession, or what were your thoughts? Yeah, I thought there was a definite deficit there. If I wouldn't have just taken the cultural perspectives on food and nutrition class as my elective, then there would have been like no cultural diversity really present in the curriculum. And I think also the fact that in most dietetic programs that they maybe just have one cooking class, I think that is such a disservice because how is it that you're going to, that you're supposed to be the nutrition expert and you're telling people like, okay, like this is maybe a diet or a modification that you have to do. And you're trying to propose them to be able to cook things in their kitchen. And then you yourself don't even know the real like basics or how to actually modify foods in a way that can actually be really palpable and easy for someone to adapt in their own life. And I feel that us as the nutrition professionals, we really should be equipped to be able to not only disseminate the information, but then also give that practical knowledge and actually encourage people to really be in their kitchens more and proactively implementing those changes instead of just being like, okay, you have to eat this, this, and that. But then they're like, whoa, how do I make this taste good? Like, you know, how do I, yeah. Like how do I not just have salads every day? How can I actually make something like Mediterranean chicken or how can I make like, you know, this really interesting wrap or how do I incorporate, you know, quinoa, couscous, like all those options. But it's like for, our feel sometimes it can be, just be so limiting. It's like, okay, these foods and then that's it type thing. And people can't live in a box. I agree. And for me, that I feel like that was something I grew up like loving to watch all the cooking channels and same as you enjoying cuisine when I travel. But I think as I got busy as a young professional, I started to miss out on a lot of that connection with cooking and with food and nutrition. And I, that's part of, I was so grateful for COVID and, and the quarantine and all those pieces because 
it removed a lot of the barriers that I had built up for a while of not getting in the kitchen and enjoying like the slowness of right. chopping. It could, like, there is something so valuable. I totally agree with chopping up your food, like understanding where your food came from, different ways to prepare it, different ways to experiment that often gets missed or overlooked. I think that's the beautiful thing about COVID as well, like not just for businesses starting, but just slowing down in general. It's the slowdown that everyone needed, but didn't didn't really expect. But yeah, I think now coming out of COVID, people are just going to have just an overall, I guess, better and more holistic way of how they look at different aspects of their life instead of just being like, okay, go, 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 go all the time. Yeah, absolutely. What was the point where you decided to create a career around this passion? I, I love just hearing this different side of dietetics and to become a dietitian. There's food photography, travel, like culinary. So how did you decide to create this as a career? Yeah, so it's actually been something that's been 10 years in the making, but I just didn't really know how to break into it. So I was thinking, okay. My first couple of years of the degree, I thought, okay, they will probably tell us how to do alternate tracks in dietetics besides food service, community, or clinical. And then I couldn't really find it. So I was like, okay. So I started to like look out and I saw a lot of dietitians doing nutrition communications or being grocery store dietitians. And I was like, oh my God, that's great. How do you break into it? But there was no manual. There was no straight path. So I was just thinking to myself, okay, I don't really have a mentor. I don't really have a straight path. So I'm just kind of, I'm just going to try and do some of the things and then just build from there. So the food photography started when I was in college and then the travel aspect started in 2015 and then ramped up more in 2017 when I started traveling more readily. And then I just started thinking more of the culinary stuff probably in the last couple of years, because I was like, okay, when I'm not traveling, I actually still want to be able to bring some of those influences home and photograph those at home. And then also with COVID getting in the kitchen a little bit more myself. And then with my mom, I was like, yeah, I still want to be able to photograph and then just see like what kind of things I can modify, like, you know, from leftovers and all of that stuff. So it's been a building process over the last 10 years. And then COVID just really brought it to a head. Just like, okay, you have two options. Like now you're out of your job. I was working in a hospital for five years. So I was like, what area of clinical were you in? I was actually in the food service department. Yeah. So that was a lot of fun, a hard, hard times, but yeah. So my hats (laughs) off to dietitians and anybody working in kitchens, it is a next level of love for sure. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So I left that position in early 2020. And I just thought, okay, I have two options now with COVID happening. I could either sit here and wallow because I didn't have a job. I didn't have any prospects or anything, or I could try to, to pursue the travel thing that I had wanted to do for so long. So then I went for option two. So I enrolled in a master's degree in communications, which I'm doing right now. I enrolled in a digital marketing program. So I have all the digital marketing essentials. And then I just thought, okay, what skills can I actually bring to the market that people would find 
really valuable. And then I just thought like, ah, it's the case that I've just become really good at travel planning over the years. So then I decided to funnel that into something where I could help um, as many people as I could. Sink or swim. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Well, congratulations to you. That's that's super exciting and uh, I'm sure nerve wracking and exciting all at the same time to take that, that jump, especially when it's something that it seems so clear, like this is what I love okay, this is actually what I do now. So let's say someone works a nine to five, they've got limited PTOs, student loans, aka they have a lot of, I like to say barriers, not excuses, right? How can they, how should they take more steps to travel more? Yeah, I think the thing I did first was just taking myself out on dates locally. So whether it was going to a cafe or the movies or something, just getting comfortable being on your own and with yourself in that way and just overall treating yourself because you deserve a treat sometimes. So, and especially in the case of having limited PTO or so, whether it's in these COVID times still or out of COVID, just do little staycations too. So maybe if you can drive an hour somewhere and then explore like another town in your state, that would be a great way, you know, to be able to treat yourself, but then you're taking a baby step in traveling and then especially something that I did when I was working was that I would kind of schedule my traveling at oblong time. So a lot of people like to schedule time off for spring break or, you know, for July 4th or something, but maybe pick a week that people really aren't thinking about. So just sometime randomly in May. And if you have it in mind, just request it really, really early. And then just start planning out in advance, like, okay, I kind of want to go here. And then I I got the approved PTO. So then you have the time to be able to really plan out something, save the money. And then, you know, you can just go somewhere like that. So that's what I would say. I love that idea of baby steps, even in your local community. Like there's so, at least for me, I live in Indianapolis. It's a fairly big city. There's still so many little even suburbs that I have yet to visit after living here for four years. And yeah, Doing those things by yourself is such a great step to build that confidence, like you said, to then maybe go to Ohio, to then to then Canada, and then gradually work your way across across the pond. Exactly. This has been so good and so helpful and so many golden nuggets that I really hope people take and feel inspired to travel, you know, especially out out of COVID, things are changing, vaccines, yeah. all that good stuff. Where can people find you? Let's say they need some help with their itineraries and they need all your expertise. Where's the best way to find you? Yeah, so Instagram is definitely my jam. So I have two of them actually. So my travel Instagram is at the Flexitarian Travels. And then I have a food Instagram. It's Eat with Angie with three E's. Tell us where the Flexitarian Travel, where'd that name come from? Yeah, so I just thought it would be a fun name because I was just like, okay, I thought initially of just doing maybe Travels of Angie, but I was like, no, I want to spice it up a little bit. And I just kind of love the notion of flexitarian because I know it's usually reserved for people that are mostly vegetarian and maybe like integrate like a little bit of meat or so. But I just love the term flexitarian because I'm just really open to so many possibilities. And I just think you should be really flexible, especially when you're traveling. So yeah, I decided to opt with the flexitarian travels. 
I think our listeners, intuitive eaters, would would also identify as a flexitarian. So I love that. Love it. And last question I love to ask all our guests, what is the best thing that's happened to you this week? Best thing that has happened to me this week? I'd probably say doing podcast interviews because I just love being able to connect with a lot of like-minded and just really dope people because this online space, it can just feel so vast and you feel like you're alone and everything, but then you just find an amazing group of people that are on your same path and just being able to be in that energy and just exchange stories and just really be able to connect with people. Like, I just absolutely love that. It just amps me up so much. I would agree with that 100%. And I just had an idea, a business idea for you. You should totally start a podcast where you travel and you interview people on your travel over a meal. That's a Netflix season waiting to happen. Well, keep that in mind. I, I kind of like that idea. <laughs> that, is a, that is a Food Network million dollar idea right there. <laughs> I say, you guys heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Angie, for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It was so much fun. (laughs) Thanks for listening to this episode of The Friends Happy Hour. If you liked this episode, don't forget to share it with a friend. You can subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook at Fit Friends Happy Hour. Talk to you next time.